And we will look together at Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Haharoth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pi-Hahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. The angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so that the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to look at your word, to study your word, that you have passed down this word and preserved it for thousands of years. God, even now, as we are gathered together, there are people in places in this world that do not have a copy of your word in their language. And so, Lord, we do not take it for granted that we have your word to look at and to study and to glean from this morning. Father, your word is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, even though I am unworthy and even though I am unable, I pray that you might speak through the power of your word this morning in spite of me. Father, I know I am sinful and my sin is ever before me. Father, would you forgive us in this moment and speak to us the truth that we need to hear from your word god you are able to motivate us to challenge us to comfort us to convict us to give us strength to give us comfort to give us encouragement lord whatever we need you can supply through the power of your word lord i pray that you would move in such a way this morning that we might hear from you that we might hear from heaven, our hearts might be pierced, and that we might be encouraged and challenged and comforted all at the same time. We love you, Father. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This morning we come back to Exodus 14. And as we have been talking through these various principles that are in the book called The Red Sea Rules, written by Robert J. Morgan, we come to the next principle. And I just want to walk us through the first four that we've already talked about. And let's take a look this morning at number five, at what is happening in Scripture. It is hard, once you read that book, to come to chapter 14 and not see all of these events taking place. But if you'll remember when we started off in Exodus 14, we talked about how God gave such specific instructions like what we just read. Go to this place, between those places, camp this way, face that way. God put them where he wanted them. He had them right where he wanted them to be. The same thing is true for us every day. We have to realize God means for us to be where we are. Everything that happens in our life 
is either directly caused by the Lord or indirectly allowed to happen by the Lord. So we have to realize whether we are in the highest heights of prosperity or the lowest lows of tragedy, whatever is happening in our lives, God means for us to be where we are. The next thing that we looked at was how God repeatedly talks in chapter 14 about getting glory over Pharaoh, that there would be this glory that God would receive. And it reminds us that even when everything is going great in our lives, our prayer should be, God, how will you be glorified through this? Even when everything falls apart, our prayer should be, God, not give me relief first, but God, how will you be glorified in this? What will you do to glorify yourself, Father? Please glorify yourself in this situation. The next thing that we looked at was how the Israelites were captivated by their enemy. And so instead of focusing on the Lord and just acknowledging that their enemy was there, they focused completely on the enemy and barely kept their eyes on the Lord. They fell into a state of panic. And so when we are faced with hardship or trial or tribulation, our reminder from Exodus 14 is to be focused on God and just acknowledge that the enemy is there because there's nothing that the enemy can do that God doesn't allow the enemy to do. Just the breath of his voice puts Satan on the run. Then last week we talked about how in verse 10 they cry out to the Lord. This is the response in the midst of trouble or in the midst of prosperity. Cry out to God and pray. We talked about Why we pray, we talked about how we pray. Really, we had like three sermons in one sermon, and and you guys were just gracious enough to bear with me through that. But we talked about why we pray. We pray because we're commanded to. We pray so that we can participate in what God's doing, and we pray so that our hearts might be changed. Sometimes those prayers are spontaneous. Sometimes those prayers are systematic. We pray boldly. We ask for big things and leave the results up to God. So now I want us to reach this point in Exodus where we are where the Israelites cry out to the Lord. But I want us to go through a little just brief timeline of what's happened up to this point so that we can see their reactions to Pharaoh and his army and them approaching. So the very first thing that we see in Exodus 14 is that the Lord leads them on purpose to the dead end, right? He puts them right where he wants them to be. There's nowhere to go. Red Sea, wilderness, and now soon to come Pharaoh behind them. Pharaoh then decides to pursue them, gathers his army. Can you imagine being part of Pharaoh's army and the call goes out? I mean, it probably must have been like a fireman, you know, that it is immediate. Get up, get your armor on, get in your chariot, off we go. And they are in hot pursuit of the Israelites. So then the people, notice it breaks it down very slowly in these verses. The people see that Pharaoh is coming. When they see that Pharaoh is coming, they fear greatly. Did you catch that in verse 10? They fear greatly. Then their immediate reaction after being afraid is to cry out to the Lord. But there is no room. There is no space. There is no pass-go. There is no collect $200. None of that between what we see in verse 10 and verse 11. They cry out to the Lord at the end of verse 10, but then verse 11 starts the immediate railing and complaining at Moses. They give God absolutely no time to work. They cry out to the Lord. God, this is terrible. Do you see what's happening? They're going to come kill us. Moses, how could you do this? The very next breath. And folks, I don't know about y'all, but I relate to the Israelites in this sentiment. I get scared. I cry out to God. And then I wait five minutes. And then if whatever I prayed for hadn't happened in five minutes, Lord, you've abandoned me. Ah! I don't know. Anybody else in that camp ever? Ever? 
You pray and and we want a microwave, right? We want it done yesterday. Lord, I prayed they'd be cured of cancer. You went back and they said that the tumor was smaller. I wanted the cancer gone. I wanted it gone yesterday. What? Well, you don't listen to my prayers. This is awful. What's good? This is the Israelites. This is what we see in their reaction. They pray to God, but they want immediate reconciliation. I I don't know if they just want for the, the... fiery pillar to just turn around and consume the Egyptians right as they're praying or what they want, but they leave no room. They leave no time for God. There's a connection in Romans chapter 12 that I want us to look at for this actual passage. What we see in Romans chapter 12 verse 19 is, is, a, is a passage that relates to vengeance, but bear with me, it ties into what we're talking about in giving God time to work, leaving room for God to do His work. Romans twelve nineteen, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, it, it, that's the ESV translation. And in my ESV Bible, when you turn to that passage, there's a little footnote right in the middle of that verse because there's an alternate translation. You can take the words in multiple ways. So the NIV took it the way that the footnote has in the ESV. So flip over with me to the NIV. It says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Leave room for God's wrath. That footnote in the ESV says, leave a place for God's wrath. And I think what happens in my life, and maybe what happens in your life, is I pray or I expect something from God and I leave no room for Him to work. If somebody wrongs me, I expect for like instant karma, right? That's a, that's a phrase that has become super popular in our culture. It's the law of the harvest, but we expect law of the harvest immediately. We expect you slap me in the face. I want you to get slapped in the face by somebody else right now. Like, I'm not going to slap you, but the Lord's going to work for me, and somebody's about to come slap you right now. Well, then when nothing happens, we go ahead and slap that person across the face. Well, I gave, I gave the Lord five minutes to get slap them back, and nothing happened. So I just had to take matters in my own hand, and I had to go ahead and slap them. I mean, they slapped me. Can't let that go unnoticed. Can't let that go unanswered. Folks, this is, this is our response to the Lord. We leave no room for God to work. We pray, and when God doesn't respond immediately, we say, all right, I'll just uh, take matters into my own hands, and I'll just handle this since the Lord ain't going to do it. I can do it all on my own. Can you imagine the Israelites going, well, I, I, they're coming. All right, Moses, I guess we better get armies ready. I, bet, I, bet, I guess we better find some swords or something. I mean, you're not going to do anything. The Lord's not going to do anything. We immediately jump to, I'll take action, and I'll make it work. You may be familiar with a story in Mark chapter 5 of a man named Jairus. Jairus was some sort of official, some sort of city leader, religious leader. And he comes to Jesus in a moment of panic, in a moment where there is no other hope. And he says, Jesus, my daughter is about to die. Jesus, can you do something? Please come and help heal my daughter. And Jesus says, sure thing, Jairus, I'm on my way. And there's just throngs of people all around Jesus. So when Jesus says, I'm on my way, it's not... I'm on my way. Here I come. It's, all right, Jairus, we'll go. A lot of people, though. I mean, you know, kind of hard to move. We're all just moving together. You know, you're being crowded airport. You just feel like cattle. And somebody eventually goes, as you go into the, the metal detectors. This, this is Jesus' pace to go save the dying daughter of this religious official who's come and begged him for help. Y'all, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know about y'all, but I'm not as cool as Jairus. 
Jesus got to move a little bit faster than this right here. I don't care if there's a lot of people. You're Jesus. Just do this or something. You parted the Red Sea. Can't you part all these people and run and go save my daughter? Josh doesn't say any of that. And then while Jesus is moving at a snail's pace because there ain't nobody there, this lady comes up. She just comes crawling through everybody else. And she believes with all of her heart that if she could just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, that she would be saved and she would be healed. And so she crawls her way to him and touches the hem of his garment. And immediately her issue of blood is resolved and there's no more problems. And what she's been struggling with for decades is finally healed. And she just wants to sneak off into the distance. And Jesus says, nope. Somebody touched me. If you're Jairus, why are you stopping Jesus? What on earth, Jesus? Okay, somebody touched you. There's a big crowd. Everybody's touching you. My daughter is dying. What are you doing, Jesus? And you want to grab Jesus by the hand and say, look, I don't care if people touch you. Come on. You've got to get to my daughter. We have no record of Jairus doing anything like that. And then think of how much time Jesus is taking. Do you not think he knew the woman's name that touched him? He is Jesus. The woman touches him and he could have said, Sally, Sally, I know you touched me. Maybe it was Sarah. It's a more biblical name, I guess. I don't know. Hey, Sarah, Sarah, I know you just touched the hem of my garment. Could you stand up, please? Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sarah. And she just touched the hem of my garment. She is now healed and clean. Y'all can all touch her again because she ain't got no blood problems. It's good. Sarah's good, y'all. Would have been pretty quick, right? But he says, who touched me? And he waits. And then the disciples start peppering him with questions. What are you talking about, Jesus? There's so many people here. I don't understand. Jesus, we got to go in this. They're just yanging in his ear. And he just waits. Sometimes we don't really leave room for God to work in his timeline, do we? Boy, I'd have been nervous if I was Jairus. Finally, this woman stands up and says, it was me. And Jesus has to let everybody know she's been healed. If not, then everybody would still ostracize her because the kind of disease she had made her unclean. And so everybody cast her aside like a leper. So Jesus heals her physically, but then restores her to her community. And Jesus has to stop and take this time. And then these officials come and they they say, listen, don't bother the teacher anymore. Mark chapter 5, verses 35 and 36. While he was still speaking, Jesus is still talking to this lady. While he's still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear. Only believe. And sure enough, Jairus says, Okay, Jesus, however long it takes, let's go to your house. Let's go to my house. Jesus gets there. Everybody's, oh, she died. Oh, it's over. Jesus, you were late. They wail. They hire professional grievers. I don't know why they did that, but it was a cultural thing. They had these professional wailers. And Jesus just puts them all outside and says, guys, she's just asleep. And then they start laughing at him. And he goes up there and he says, Talitha kumi, little girl, I say to you, get up. And it's just like she's been asleep in the car and you stop the car. Have you ever noticed your kids always know when the car stops? Like, if you hit a red light and you get off that interstate and your kids were sleeping soundly in the back of that van, and then you, once the vehicle comes to a stop, they're like, oh, hey, I'm back alive. Hi, how are you? This is, this is the little girl. It's just like she was like snoozing or something. And Jesus says, little girl, I say to you, wake up. And she just, eyes pop open and she sits up. But if Jairus hadn't given God time, let 
God have room to work and tried to force the situation, the result might have been very different. We can only speculate, but do you see Jairus' patience with the Savior? You know, last week we talked about an analogy that everybody's heard like a zillion times, right? The floodwaters are rising, the guy's starting to drown, and he calls to the Lord and says, Lord, please save me. Boat comes by, says no. Boat comes by, says no. Helicopter comes by, says no. Gets before the Lord, and he says, Lord, I prayed and asked you to save me. And the Lord said, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What did you expect me to do? That's, that's one extreme. That's one end of the spectrum. When you pray and do absolutely nothing. When you pray and just... Want the Lord to do everything for you. Well, I prayed. Wasn't that enough? And then on the other end of the spectrum, I just want you to think about that analogy in the reverse. The floodwaters are rising. You you live in Louisiana, and and it's flooding everywhere. It's a bad hurricane coming through. This is a very relatable situation, right? Well, as the floodwaters rise, you call out to the Lord, Lord, save me. You know what? I'm going to swim for sure. It's all good, Jesus. I got it. And the guy starts swimming. It's a flood. Where you go? What shore are you swimming to? We're not talking about going across a river. We're not talking about swimming across a lake. The floodwaters are rising. So he swims away and he's not at his house and none of the boats know where to find him. So he gets tired and he drowns and he dies. And he goes and he stands before the Lord and he says, Lord, what, why didn't you save me? And he said, dude, the boat was 30 seconds after you left. Like, you couldn't wait just two more. I had a boat on the way for you, man. Folks, These are the two extremes. This is what we do. We pray and do nothing. Or like the Israelites, we say, I've prayed, nothing happened, now I've got to force something to happen. Look with me specifically at verses 19 and 20. I really believe that God does this to stop the Israelites from forcing the situation. Look at how it describes in verses 19 and 20 of Exodus 14. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. These verses are incredible, but I want us to pay attention to how it describes the way that the fire and the cloud move. This is a little bit speculative, but bear with me. It does not describe the fire as withholding the Egyptian army. It does not describe a wall of fire that stops them. It describes the pillar standing between Pharaoh and his army and the Israelites. It is a chasm that is separating the two different nations. And I want you to think about a schoolyard. This is your, your buddy is in a fight, right? And you run over there and you're going to do one of two things. You're going to join your buddy and help beat up whoever is fighting them. If, if it's a girl fight, you're going to start snatching hair, whatever you're going to do. Claws are coming out. If you're a guy, your buddy's in trouble. You just, you come over there throwing. You don't even know what's going on. But if you're a smart guy and the army is way bigger, the guy that your buddy's picked a fight with, is, is, there ain't no chance. This, this ain't happening. You run over there. What do you do? You grab your buddy. I'm going to hold you back. It's all, I got him. I got him, man. Don't worry. Dude, what are you thinking? This guy's three times your size. And you, you grab your friend and you pull your friend away. Now, if you're a teacher in the schoolyard and kids start fighting, do you grab one and pull them away? Or that, that iconic symbol, right? They stand between. Yep. Stop. 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 You, you stop and you stop. That's enough. That's enough. 
And then the friends are over there pulling each other away, right? This is how the pillar stands between the Israelites and the Egyptians. Because primarily, God's stopping the Egyptians in their pursuit. But also, I want to speculate that God is stopping the Israelites from trying to surrender to the Egyptians. God is trying to stop the Israelites from losing faith and taking up arms and forming battle lines against the Egyptians. The pillar stands between them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. There was the cloud and the darkness, and somehow this dark cloud lights up the night, and it says, without one coming near the other all night. There are other Hebrew constructions that could have been used to say that Pharaoh was withheld, and only Pharaoh. But it says, without one coming near the other. This is the same description that we have in the Gospel of Luke when it talks about the Lazarus being in Abraham's bosom and a chasm so that one may not cross and one may not come near the other because they are separated. So that nobody could cross back to try and save them and nobody could cross forward to get to Abraham's bosom. Folks, I believe with all my heart if the Lord had not stopped the Israelites, there's no way that they stopped themselves. There's no way that they have the wherewithal to be patient and wait on God. Folks, sometimes we have to be patient, be calm, and give God a moment to work. His timeline is not our timeline. And sometimes we want to force the issue and we're causing more trouble than we are good. Sometimes it works out. Maybe God will work through it in spite of our disobedience. But sometimes we end up in a whole mess of trouble because we prayed and we waited five minutes, ten minutes, a day, and we didn't leave room for God to work. Leaving room for God's vengeance. You can also leave room for God's mercy. Leave room for God's grace. You don't just have to leave room for God's wrath, but to pray and trust in the Lord. Listen, I, I know that there might be some that aren't going to like this, but this is, this is what we do these days in the political spectrum. We pray, and when God doesn't start moving, when God doesn't start changing things, we say, well, I got, I'm going to have to do it on my own. I'm going to have to do it on my own. How many of us have seen on social media where there's threats of revolts? And if, if this election doesn't go the way that I want it to go, well, then we're going to rise up and we're not going to accept the results. Well, if this election doesn't go the way that we want it to go, well, then we're going to rise up and we're not going to accept the results. We're going to ride in the streets. And we think God made a bad decision. God didn't let the election come out how it was supposed to come out. So we got to fix what God messed up. And we leave no room for God to work. Folks, I need you to know full and well that if Donald Trump is reelected, it is not our doom. If Joe Biden is elected, it is not our doom. If in your heart and in your mind it is worked up to such a fever pitch that if the candidate that you want is not elected, you think the world is over, you got another thing coming. That's how ratings are driven up. That's how the algorithms make you keep staring at your Insta, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchatty book, okay? They design it so that it draws you in further. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's going to be so bad. Look at the policies. 
Do we realize that even if we were under some sort of totalitarian regime with a dictator who hated Christianity in Christ, we could still live abundant and full lives? There are people in China doing it right now. There's people in Vietnam doing it right now. There's people in North Korea doing it right now. Do I want for us to be in that kind of a nation? No. Am I saying do nothing? Am I saying pray and sit here and do nothing? No, go vote. Get out there. Vote. Vote for the candidate that you believe will be best for our nation. But do not move to this extreme where if God doesn't put the candidate in there that you want, that you think, well, we're going to fix it. That's what we'll do. That's not biblical. Romans 13 tells us that God puts all the dictators and the elected officials in place on purpose. For good reason, for His purpose. You know, we started this sermon series off looking at how God means to put you and I where we are. The same thing is true with governors, whether they're godly or whether they're hellions. Do we think that doesn't apply to anybody other than us? God either puts the person in office directly or allows somebody to be in office. Either way, our hope is in God. But so many of us have just built up nothing but fear within our souls because we think God's not working, God's not listening, the polls are going the way I don't want them to go. Or, or hey, I tell you what, God's about to change everything. This whole world's about to be great. Everything's going to be awesome. If the world is saved by your candidate being elected, there's a problem in our hearts. If the world is doomed by your candidate being not elected, there's a problem in our hearts. Folks, that means we're not trusting in God. It means that we have gone from this middle road where I'm going to vote, but I'm going to trust that God's going to do what God needs to do with whatever candidate makes it into office. Sometimes we don't leave room for God to work. God can use Donald Trump. God can use Joe Biden. God can use anybody. God can use pagan nations like Assyria and Babylon to raise them up to bring about judgment. It's in the book. It's in the Old Testament. Check it out. In Isaiah, 1 and 2 Kings. If you don't think He can raise somebody up to use them, whether they are godly or whether they are Satan himself, we have to trust in God. And what we've done is we've said, Lord, help us with this election. Oh God, what are you doing? All right, we gotta, we gotta, all right, let's get an organization together. We gotta do something. Because we prayed and God didn't just strike Joe Biden or Donald Trump dead. Like, like they're still running. I mean, I don't know what to do now. Folks, can, can we just, can we just walk through some scripture that I hope is an encouragement? Because the same thing that Moses says to the Israelites in Exodus 14, all you gotta do is shut up. It's the, it's the way that he speaks. I mean, I know we put a nice little, all you must do is be silent. But Moses ain't, ain't quiet. He, he isn't happy. He says, just shut your mouth and watch what God will do. Folks, that same thing's all over Scripture for us. The Lord will fight for His children. Romans 8.28, all things work out for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. That means that if you love the Lord and you're called according to His purposes, it works out for good. But just walk with me through Scripture this morning. Romans 12.12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant 
in prayer. We have to be patient in tribulation. Deuteronomy 20, verses 3 and 4. Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Deuteronomy chapter 20. You're drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is He who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies. To give you the victory. Second Chronicles 32, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Church, can I just say for us this morning, these verses in the midst of one of the most tumultuous elections we've had in a long time, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the candidate who is not your choice and all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us, even those that cannot be seen. The context of these verses is the servant cannot see the thousands, the thousands that the Lord commands in His armies. There are more who are with us than who are against us. John 14, starting in verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to Myself. That where I am, you may be also. Hey, y'all, if we leave a little bit of room for God, if we'll be a little bit patient, there's going to be a day He's going to come back and get us. And it won't matter who was elected because He's going to get us. And if we're believers, we're going to be in glory with Him face to face with the Creator. And we won't even remember who was elected. We won't even remember that problem we were praying about. We won't even remember what we were being so impatient for. Because we'll be with Him. Let the peace that He gives us reign over our hearts. Verse 27 of that same chapter of John. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. And then the verse that Jake read for us to start off this morning. Psalm 46.10 Be still and know That I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Folks, sometimes we got to leave more room for the Lord to work. Instead of being very American, which is very normal for us. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I can fix this. Especially if you're a guy, man. I can fix it. I just... I can fix it. Lord hadn't done anything. Let me get after it. Let me fix it. But folks, regardless of if it's the election or whatever is going on in our lives, whatever trouble, whatever difficulty, let us be still and know that He is God. And He will be exalted. He'll be exalted in our nation. He'll be exalted in our home. 
He'll be exalted around the world. This morning, be still and know that the Lord is God. Sometimes I, I think we've got to get out of our own way. Sometimes I think we've got to leave a little bit more room for the Lord. I believe the Israelites failed in that respect. I believe I act a lot like them. Do you act like those Israelites this morning? Have you mastered the art of being still and knowing that He is the Lord? Or have the pressures of this world caused for there to be nothing but fear and anxiety in your heart driving you to do things that you might never otherwise have done? This morning, I encourage you to trust in the Lord. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in the Lord, that verse that I said from Romans 8, that verse that we can take and look at the Israelites and apply it to us, all things work for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. If you don't love the Lord, if you don't believe in Him, if you haven't put your faith in Him and are called according to His purpose, can't promise you that all things are working for your good. All things work for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. God had called out the Israelites. They were called to His purpose. So even when they panicked, even when they fell apart, He put a pillar of fire and cloud behind them and lit up the night with a dark cloud. I don't even know how you do that. This morning, if you've never trusted in Jesus, can't guarantee those same things for you. Christians, we don't, we don't have it made, but we can have peace. And the only way for you to have peace if you don't trust in Jesus is to trust in Him. This morning, the only way for you to have peace if your soul is filled with anxiety is to be still and know He's God. He's got this. It may not be easy, but He's got it may not be simple, but he's got it. Do you trust that he has it under control this morning? Have you left room for God to work? Or are you trying to force the situation by your own hand? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are so patient with us. And God, I, I do not offer the same in return. I am not a patient person. Lord, so many times I think I can figure it out or work it out on my own. I pray, Father, You'd forgive me. Lord, help us as a church to remember that You're on the throne. Help us to leave room for You to work instead of charging ahead without ever consulting You. Instead of acting like you're not there and moving forward by our own strength. Help us, Lord, to be still and know that you are God. We love you, Father. We ask that you would move in this time of response. And that as your Holy Spirit moves, we might respond in obedience. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ.